This episode is brought to you by EarthBreeze, the one New Year's resolution I've ever been able to stick to. It's completely transformed my laundry experience. Gone are the big, heavy plastic jugs, the measuring out of detergent every time. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze wash sheet. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze eco sheet. It looks just like a dryer sheet, except it's slightly less dry. It's ultra concentrated detergent. I throw it in the wash and that's it. Never think about it again. Laundry comes out great, clean, fresh smelling, no harmful chemicals or bleaches or dyes or anything in there. If you want to change up your laundry game this year, right now my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled, that's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Hey, Drilled listeners, I'm here with an update on the story we told in our last narrative season, La Lucha en la Jungla, about the decades-long fight between Chevron and various groups in the Ecuadorian Amazon. As you know, if you listened to that season, Chevron has recently been going after one of the lawyers in that case, Stephen Donziger. He has been on house arrest now for more than 600 days for a criminal contempt charge stemming from a civil contempt charge that Chevron encouraged a judge in New York to impose on him. That all started a few years after Donziger lost a RICO case brought against him by Chevron, claiming that he and the other attorneys in Ecuador had engaged in misconduct in order to win their case in Ecuador, and that therefore the judgment should be considered null and void in the U.S. The Ecuadorian plaintiffs have continued to try to collect on that judgment elsewhere in the world, and it's possible that those efforts triggered Chevron's interest in Donziger again. At any rate, they asked Judge Kaplan, who was the judge in the RICO case, to subpoena certain files and information from Donziger because they believed that he was violating the agreement in that case, which is that he would no longer be able to profit in any way from the Ecuadorian judgment. Donziger refused to hand over his files, saying that it would violate attorney-client privilege, and that's when Kaplan slapped him with a criminal contempt charge. Kaplan took that charge to the U.S. Attorney's Office. The U.S. Attorney said, nah, we don't want to prosecute this, not really a case. And instead of letting it go at that point, Kaplan hired a private law firm to prosecute Donziger. Now, this is a very unusual move. According to Donziger's current attorneys, it's the first time that a private prosecutor has been used in a case like this. We haven't been able to find any other examples of this being done, so it could very well be the first time. It's certainly unusual, especially with sort of a low-level offense like a contempt charge. And then about a year into court proceedings around this charge, Donziger and his team discovered that the private prosecutor that Judge Kaplan had appointed, a firm called Seward & Kissel, had worked for Chevron. 
as recently as a year before they were hired to prosecute Donziger. That all seems a little shady. Now here we are, 600 days in. Donziger still hasn't had a trial. He's been denied a jury trial. There is a court date set for May 10th. The judge has declined requests for audio or video streaming of that trial. In this episode, I am joined once again by my co-reporter on that series, Karen Savage, to bring you some updates on what's happening in that case and what Donziger is facing when he finally heads to trial in May. That conversation coming up right after this quick break. New Year's resolutions are almost destined to fail. I resolve almost every year to work less and we all know it's not going to (laughs) happen. But one thing I have been able to stick to, and you can too, is switching up the way you do laundry in 2024 and grabbing Earth Breeze. I know what you're thinking, laundry is not so fun. Those huge heavy plastic jugs measuring out the right amount, getting goo all over the place. It's annoying. EarthBreeze Eco Sheets totally changed the game. Unlike powder or liquid, EarthBreeze actually looks like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent. And it's super easy. You just throw it into your laundry and that's it. There's no measuring, there's no lugging anything around. Your laundry comes out clean. It smells great. I love it. It's genuinely made my life easier. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, free of bleach and dyes. So it's perfect for every load. You'll never run out of detergent again, thanks to Earth Breeze's easy, flexible subscription. You can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Plus shipping is always free and Eco Sheets are packaged in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. It also gets rid of one more plastic thing in your life. And the company has donated over 100 million loads of laundry and counting to those in need. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. 440. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts.
Karen, welcome back. Thank you, Amy. I have missed reporting with you. I, I did this crazy long story that's going to come out in a few days, and I didn't have anyone to bounce things off of. And oh. it, it was harder. It was so much harder. I know, right? It's nice to partner with um, with another reporter on, on stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I know, I feel like, um, I mean, you and I have been texting each other, you know, as different briefs and things come out, but, um, but what have, what have you been kind of seeing in the last couple months on the Donziger case? So there's been, you know, there was the back and forth about the lawyers and who could get their win. And then eventually everything was postponed until May 10th. Um, and I've really seen the most interesting things I've seen, um, well, first, we'll talk about the motion to dismiss, I guess, um, based on vindictive yeah. prosecution. This is um, so interesting. So um, this is all happening because like the this is part of the criminal contempt trial that is still ongoing. There is a hearing scheduled for May 10th. And in the meantime, there have been lots of different sort of motions filed. And and the most recent, right, is this one from one of Donziger's lawyers. Marty Garbus. And um, it is really kind of asking for more discovery and, and alleging that this is a vindictive prosecution. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what's so interesting to me is that, you know, he's asking for the I'm trying to find the thing and get it in front of me, but he's asking for the um, right. for discovery. Which I honestly seems fair. Like he should be able to access the evidence necessary to defend himself was is kind of like the argument that this brief is making, right? Right. Yeah. That's that's what I'm I'm thinking. It looks like to me that, you know, first of all, he's saying this is vindictive prosecution. This is against the way we do mm -hmm. things here um, in the United States, which is may or may not be true, but that's apparently the that's the the whole premise of the law, yeah. at least. And so, you know, the whole idea that that Donziger is being prosecuted basically because he went up against a large corporation right. and won. Um, and, you know, the, there's been the whole thing that we've, we've covered, you know, how the narrative has shifted from the people on the ground who are still mm -hmm. suffering um, from this toxic pollution. Um, and so the narrative has shifted away from the folks in Ecuador to focus on Stephen Donziger and what he, what Chevron claims he did wrong and all of these things. And, you know, there's a whole RICO right. trial and the right. conviction. Um, but, you know, I think that the message in this, in this motion to dismiss, which is very consistent with what's been, what's been said all along by Steven Donziger and his supporters is that, you know, this is really right. malicious. Um, you know, judge Kaplan has sided many, many times with Chevron and they even in the motion, um, pull out from some transcripts, some of the things that he has said mm. in the past. And, you know, it's really, if you look at it, I know our jobs as reporters are to kind of look at both sides, but when you just look at it on its face, it does look kind of pretty right. malicious. You know, there's just this continuing pursuit of this guy. Um, well, and also I think it's important for, for people to understand that like what's happening to him now has nothing to do with what Chevron accused him of doing in Ecuador, you know, at this point, 10 years ago, <laughs> you know, it is this kind of renewed attack on Donziger that, that started, you know, a few years after Chevron's RICO case was settled. I mean, they won the RICO case. They, you know, kind of succeeded there. 
and then for whatever reason felt the need to continue going after Donziger. I mean, I think because the Ecuadorians were continuing to try to collect this judgment somewhere in the world and, and Chevron wants to put a stop to that. And also, honestly, it does seem like they want to make an example out of him and scare off other attorneys from from taking on cases against oil companies and against big companies in general. Right. And I think what you spoke to a few minutes ago about, um, you know, the private prosecutor is really horrifying. You know, if you follow that, you know, right now it's Stephen Donziger who is being prosecuted by a private prosecutor, Mm -hmm. but it could be anybody if this is, if this becomes a normal thing. Um, And I know they're, they're they're saying it's, this is the only time it's happened in ever. Um, And I honestly have looked and haven't found that it's happened at other times. I'm not saying it's not out there and I haven't missed it, but you know, I haven't found any evidence that it's happened before. I haven't found Mm -hmm. a specific case. Um, But if this does happen and goes through and becomes Mm -hmm. the norm, the ramifications of that are really horrifying because that means that corporations can hire someone to prosecute whoever right. they want. That's right. Well, and oil companies already hire the police. Exactly. Right. They already pay the police hundreds of thousands of dollars to work side jobs or, or they pay the department directly or they, you know, in promotion and all mm-hmm. kinds of other, you know, donations mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they already have bought the police and now they're trying to buy the justice, you know, the court system. Um, which is horrifying. It's important for people to understand that Gibson Dunn created the the sort of novel strategy of using RICO to go after plaintiff's attorneys, right? Like they did it with Dole and then they really sort of perfected it with this Chevron case. And now that kind of thinking has made its way into some of these anti-protest bills that are happening. Just last week or maybe two weeks ago, I think it was Kansas passed one of the many anti-protest laws that are criminalizing protests around uh, critical infrastructure, which basically means pipelines and fossil fuel infrastructure. And they actually included RICO charges as part of that. So this is like, you know, all right, well, we've already seen this happen where you know, a legal strategy that was used in this case fairly novelly five, six years ago is now being replicated in various other instances. In fact, Gibson Dunn was brought on to help prosecute the protesters at Standing Rock for energy transfer partners. Yeah. And they're following right in that playbook, you know, um, the way there were the subpoenas in in the Chevron Ecuador case against the, you know journalists against um, the crude documentary, and now you know, Energy Transfer has is seeking information and has issued a subpoena to Unicorn Riot, which covered the protests at Standing mm-hmm. Rock. So there are all of these similarities, and I think what the corporations are kind of hoping is that you know, maybe you and me are sitting here saying, well, you know what, we're not attorneys. We're not plaintiff's attorneys. So that's happening to the plaintiff's Mm -hmm. attorneys. And we're not protesters. So that's happening to the protesters. And, you know, we are media. So we notice that this is happening to media, but people who aren't media are like, well, that's not us. That's media. And no one kind of thinks of Mm -hmm. it collectively of like, these are a broad scale 
um, scaling back of our First Amendment right. rights. Yeah. I was just talking to someone, you know, the other day about the fact that um, media liability insurance has become much more expensive and hard to get. Like I, um, I have a, a fairly large policy because of the kind of, you know, the, the sorts of stories that we do. Um, and and <laughs> right. <laughs> sounds like a really good, I'm not a business person, but Amy, that sounds like yeah, a really good. Yeah. One. <laughs> but, um, but the insurance company that I use when I went to sort of like the annual, like renewal of the policy thing um, for a minute was like, Oh, we're not sure about this. Cause we're not really giving policies to investigative journalists anymore because it's seen as too risky. And I was like, wow, that is quite troubling because yeah right it's like and especially so I just feel like you've seen this thing happen in over the last 10-15 years where corporations have increased their first amendment rights and at the same time have really worked strategically to whittle away the first amendment rights of everybody else and it's very very troubling uh and I see this case as like a real as a part of that, you know, it's like um, make plaintiffs' attorneys scared to file suits against them, make protesters. And now, you know, that the one of the novel things in these anti-protest laws is that they include the ability to go after organizations for organizing protests. So now you have all of these nonprofits who have helped to like organize the line three protests or organize the standing rock protests or whatever, like they're being dragged into court now too. Um, and then, you know, uh, media is, is having less and less protection because, um, you know, everyone from insurers to, to like publishers are worried about, you know, the cost and the risk associated with investigating these guys. It's, it's very troubling. For sure. And the other thing they do is they, they shift your, the narrative of who you are as a reporter, right? Um, You know, I covered the Bayou Bridge stuff and I cannot tell you how many times I was called an activist. Mm -hmm. Now I was there, I was embedded, I was clearly reporting on it, but what they do is they shift the way that we are described Mm -hmm. um, so that it diminishes or changes our actual role. Um, And in people's minds, then there becomes no distinction. Um, So that's just another thing that, that, you know, and I've seen them do it like Unicorn Riot. I've seen them do it to to them. And there are, you know, there's many, many people Mm -hmm. that have reported, um, you know, look at, at all kinds of folks, Democracy Now!, Amy Goodman, you know, Uh they'll they'll do these subtle, you know, maybe just a word or two in there or some of them are not so subtle, but it slips the image of someone as a reporter into some murky unknown place. Absolutely. Absolutely. That they've, I mean, that has happened to me and it's why I'm such a like giant bitch about it when I see people <laughs> saying it. Cause it, cause it's like, no, you don't understand. It's not that like I have some sort of idea about activists, you know, that I'm like above activists or that they're, you know, less than or anything like that. It's that this is a very specific strategy that's used to not only undermine the reporting that some people are doing, but also to erode our first amendment protections. I, I have had some of the most heated battles with other journalists. I got to tell you. Yep. So no, I hope I if you're a journalist out there listening, please pay attention to where these boundaries are constantly shifting and what even yep. a little shift can do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't like arguing with fellow journalists, but if they're going to misidentify no. me, I have to argue with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. I know. I had a whole back and forth with the guy at Axios because he referred to me as an advocacy journalist. And I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> yeah, I was referred to as an, it was either activist journalist or journalist activist. It was like hyphenated, mm-hmm. which is another weird variation that somebody created. Mm-hmm. And I had to like go toe to toe. And um, I was... You know, I was in a special place at that moment. So I um, kind of let loose on that poor person. I think they probably hung up like, wow, she's really, really, uh, you know, a grand bitch. But I had to do it, you know, <laughs> like, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's like, it's important for um, for a variety of reasons. It's not just like, oh, I, I don't really care about, you know, um, what title people give me or, you know, and I don't have any sort of like um, ego tied up in like, I'm a journalist or whatever. It's, it's actually, it's about like legal protection and also um, like kind of who controls the narrative and how things get spun. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. um, Okay. So Garbus has filed this motion asking for discovery, which is a legal term that means basically, you know, being able to request Uh, documents and evidence from the other side and to be able to dig into people's files and things like that. And has also called this a vindictive prosecution and asked for it to be moved out of this judge's court, which I'm sure this judge will take great offense to. But, you know, the accusation is that Judge Kaplan, who is very cozy with Chevron, you know, hand selected this judge and that there is just a huge conflict of interest here and that she can't really be unbiased in this prosecution. Right. Right. Yeah. And they pointed out, I think that she's a member of the Federalist Society and Mm -hmm. Chevron has donated many times um, to the, to the Federalist Society. So, you know, there's just a whole bunch of, of conflicts there. Yeah. Yeah. When was that motion filed? It was filed, I think last Thursday. Okay, and so April. they're in the process now of looking, you know, setting the schedule on how they're going to deal with that motion. Um, okay. And what's whether, and like whether it's going to impact the hearing date in general. Right. Which is another interesting part of this story mm. because um, they, the judge came out earlier, I think it was two weeks ago. Um and said, you know, because COVID is is at a better point where it was before, it's going to be an in-person trial. And of course, we already know it's going to be a bench trial, um, even though Donziger and his attorneys wanted a jury trial. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also requested that there be audio, video, video, um, you know, access for right. members of the public. Right. And she denied that. I know. I thought that was really suspicious too. I was just like, why? I mean, it's like, you're already under scrutiny here. I would think that you would want to be transparent, um, at least in that way. But yeah. yeah. So I, I was just curious. So I looked up, you know, and they have a whole calendar of civil and criminal proceedings in that court. Mm-hmm. So I went there. And so the, so the things that are happening this week, the week of, what is it? April 12th. Mm-hmm. There are only two trials going on that I could find, but both of them allow folks to call in mm-hmm. and listen. It's not like a Zoom type thing, but you can call in and listen over the phone. Mm. So it's bizarre to me that those two trials, the same court, same 
you know, a little bit different charges. Um, and those do have a jury trial. So I think that's a little different there. But basically, same courthouse, same, well, this, it's a different building, but it's under the umbrella of the same court. And they are allowing folks to call in and listen. Um, and Donziger's trial will not be, you know, folks won't have that ability. So yeah, it's wild. Honestly, like I've been following a bunch of other um, cases not related to this at all. And they're all allowing like phone in access. And- well, you can still go. Um, to the courthouse and they have agreed to have overflow rooms. I think judge Preska moved it to a bigger courtroom, Mm -hmm. um, and had the overflow rooms. But part of the thing is that, that there are really pretty strict, um, rules about how you can enter, particularly if you have traveled from another country, you know, you have to have this documentation that you are not, that you are negative COVID Mm -hmm. negative. Mm -hmm. And that's, I would imagine if I was traveling from another country, I would not necessarily want to be here 10 days in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all just kind of complicates, complicates the issue. And it also like leaves all of these folks who are, you know, it's kind of emblematic, right? Of the yeah. whole recent proceedings that leave the folks who are init- the initial victims of this toxic pollution completely out of the picture. Yeah. So they're in Ecuador and they have no way to access these proceedings if they wanted to. And I think that that in, in a normal time would be kind of unfortunately just the way it goes. But with COVID, you know, there was the whole thing for a while where they were pushing, pushing, pushing to have a Zoom trial. Mm-hmm. And now not only are we not having a Zoom trial and we're having the trial in person, but now the folks in Ecuador have zero ability to follow along. Um, so I think that, you know, those kinds of things just look funny. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, like I said, the, these other two trials managed to have ways that folks can call in on a teleconference line. I, I yeah. tried just to make sure you can actually get through and everything was working and I got into one and, you know, some kind of like SEC fraud or something that I wasn't particularly interested in at the time, but you can do it. Um, so it's really beyond explanation why in Donziger's trial, this isn't allowed. Yeah. Yeah, it is very, it's, it's unusual. It's, it's an unusual thing to, to deny that request. Um, so yeah, just another of the many ways that this is unusual. And he is now, I mean, he's, he's coming up on almost two years in August, right? It'll be two years that he's been on house arrest. Yeah. He did a, a, Twitter live thing last night. I think he said it was six, day 604, maybe. I'm not sure I got that number right. But by the time this is out, it'll be more than that anyway. Yeah. Um, so more than 600 days. The um, the, the sort of like the, the penalty if he's if like someone is convicted of criminal contempt is six months. <laughs> so um, uh, I just I don't understand. For sure. You know, I... And this is kind of so typical of oil companies, right? Like they want to pummel any opposition to their existence <laughs> into the ground. I mean, but at right now, Donziger, he's got, I think, 55 Nobel laureates are supporting him. Mm-hmm. He's got folks from all over the world, you know, different um, personalities have come out and supported him. And, you know, all, every time they push back against him, what I think they don't realize is that they're growing his his support. Um, 
So it's, it, yeah, it's beyond me why they keep, just keep pushing this. This is crazy. Um, they were, there's even like a, um, a trial monitoring committee set up, which is something that doesn't normally happen in the United States. You know, folks think of that in countries that just don't have well-established justice systems or fair justice systems, I guess I should say. And here it is. They, they want to do that in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it speaks volumes, just those types of things, you know, and like I said, as a journalist, my job is to go in and kind of look at both sides and see what happened and kind of figure out where the truth lies, which is often right. sometimes in between all the sides. Mm-hmm. But in this case, there's so much, um, just what appears to be unnecessary push yeah. against Donziger. And that the vindictive per, um, prosecution becomes very believable. At the point where the U.S. attorney is like, nah, we don't want, we decline to prosecute. Like, this is a nothing burger case. And then the judge goes out and hires a private corporate law firm that just so happened to have worked for Chevron recently. I mean, that's just, honestly, I, I feel like at a minimum, you would think that the judge would want to be careful about giving the impression that he is biased or has a grudge against <laughs> you know but it's like it's like wow like it's like no effort was made to even really conceal it here um so i don't it's like well what other it's very hard to come to any other conclusion because the facts are so egregious yeah one thing garbus points out um is that you know when the prosec- the prosecuting attorney initially said that they didn't have the resources mm-hmm. to prosecute um, but here we are, and we haven't even reached trial or appeal or sentencing or any of those things that are still coming. Um, they've already paid Seward and Kissel over $500,000. Wow. And so, you know, as he points out in his brief, hmm. it could well be over a million dollars of taxpayer money mm-hmm. is paid for this prosecution. Yeah. Um, so... which, which also, <laughs> I think it's important to point out, started initially way back with Chevron asking the judge to look into, you know, what Donziger was up to lately. Chevron's narrative is like, well, we didn't we didn't ask for criminal contempt charges. Mm-hmm. Well, but you did ask for civil contempt charges. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and that is what led to the criminal contempt charges. Right. So like you right. did kick this entire thing off. And... I, I honestly, I just, I look at this and I'm like, this is like, it's, it's laughable because the, for years it was like, you know, we want to move the, the trial to Ecuador. And then as soon as they got to Ecuador and Ecuador's political situation changed, it was, oh, the courts in Ecuador are corrupt and there's no way we can get a fair trial. And it's like, you look at this and you're like, this is the type of corruption that you know, Americans criticize other countries for having in their judicial system. And like, it's right here in New York. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So anyway, well, we'll be continuing to watch what happens. But um, I think they're saying that the trial will last maybe give or take 10 days or so. Wow. Um, I know there have been actually too some, um, some, politicians who are starting to kind of tune into this too. So I, I, I think it's um, Rep McGovern in Massachusetts. Right. And uh, Cori Bush also are um, who, you know, this is an interesting thing too, because Cori Bush comes out of the Black Lives Matter movement. This whole like Rico criminalizing protest thing has been 
like there has been some talk of using that against Black Lives Matter protests too. So even outside of the pipeline protests, these laws and this these precedents that really the fossil fuel industry is setting legally will have ramifications for every other type of civil protest. Right. And that is very concerning. So I know that they are um, drafting a letter to Attorney General Garland this week asking the Department of Justice to review this case. So that should be interesting, too, to see if anything happens there. Yeah. And I was just reading, I don't, I forget where, but that the Biden administration is totally within bounds. They could, the DOJ could say, you know what, we want to take on this case mm-hmm. um, and take over the prosecution. That's so interesting. Um, that would be really interesting. That would be very interesting. Huh? Wow. Well, yeah. So the plot continues to thicken with this case. This story is like the most mind-blowing story I think I've ever worked on and it just continues to go on yeah and what's what's amazing to me is that I feel like there is so much that just in the interest of time we didn't cover mm-hmm. Y- mm-hmm. you know what I mean like there are just yeah. hundreds, probably Mountains. millions of documents yes of just fascinating little side stories yeah definitely something to watch will keep us will keep us um busy for a while yeah, yeah, it's something to watch. And it is the, the thing that is very concerning about it is that this case has set a lot of precedents all along the way, most of which have been pretty bad for democracy. And this is sort of the latest phase of that. So um, it's very it's it's important to sort of to keep tabs on on what happens here and, and how it might affect lots of other things. 